0: Yep, 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 yep. It's another episode of the Cheap pot. Hot Podcast. I'm over here with Ben, and we are in downtown, beautiful downtown Corpus Christi, Texas. It is a wonderful place to be. If you haven't been to downtown Corpus Christi, Texas, you're missing out. Lots of wonderful people. Well, what do you say, Ben?
1: I say today's a wonderful day. A nice little cold front that came in, so it's nice. We have a very uh,
0: special... Uh, we do group. have a Special recording, at, because we have a special guest, yes, yes, yeah, sure. and uh, you, you get to do a little bit of talking. Hey, we live on the coast here in Corpus, and uh, we get some waves, and I've been down on the uh, the beach, and so I've seen uh, a few surfers when I'm down there fishing, mm-hmm. and I've heard some stories about surfing, and I've seen these guys, and I've even, uh, there was even one I guess the tide was up, so the surfers they're out and they're like trying to catch some, you know, big waves. And the guy's got really bold, and then he's coming in on a on a really nice wave, and there's a lot of rocks over there. And so he whoo, he wipes out, and yeah, yeah, not a, not a good situation. But hey, man, the way I see it, if you are doing what you love to do, you know, you never know what's going to happen in life, and and you're you're enjoying what you do, and that is
1: true. It's just hearing the stories about people knowing the energy of the wave and just the risk and the reward of actually catching the waves that they, they love to do. It's, it's amazing. And I can't wait until we have this um, very experienced.
0: Uh, um, yeah, to today we us. have Jim the surfer in our studio. You get to hear an interview with Bid and Jim. It's going to be a fantastic listen Bye. Welcome to the studio.
2: Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for having me.
1: It's uh, an honor. <laughs> well,
2: uh, I, I don't know about that, but that's a nice thing to say. Thanks very much. It's my first
1: interview. I love it. <laughs> and uh, so uh, my understanding is you've been surfing for 60 years?
2: Yes, that's true. I started surfing in, uh, in actually the spring of 1962. Um, and uh, I surfed pretty much continuously all the way up to about, I don't know, two years ago or so. Don't get me started on that, that's another long story. But um, yeah, sixty years of surfing.
1: What originally got you into surfing? Like what was the draw? What got you into Yeah, I wanna try that.
2: Well, you know, uh it takes you back to about nineteen sixty or so and in right at 1959, 1960, that's when the film Gidget came out. When the film Gidget came out, it kind of spread across the country like wildfire. Uh, and of course, the film was based in Malibu, famous break in Southern California. Um, everybody wanted to be a surf culture just took off. So that's the year that I started. And it was an overnight phenomenon. Everybody in like uh, yearbook that came out in uh, the year before 1961, let's say, all the pictures, especially of the seniors, straight out of the 50s. You know, uh, the next year, all the pictures came out. And you see the bleached blonde Eric guys and uh, the
1: classic uh, and
2: surfer cartoons all throughout the yearbook. And all. So it, just, it really just took over, and I was right in the middle of it. And where did you live at this time? Yeah, I lived uh in uh at the uh, in town of Brea, California, which was in North Orange County. At Brea La Habra, those twin uh towns, uh it was the end of Highway thirty nine, which is better known as Beach Boulevard. So we that had a straight shot that would take us right down to the Huntington Beach area. Gave us really easy access to the whole you know, the area that spread from you know, all up and down the coast. Really, Huntington Beach was called itself the capital of surfing.
1: Now, when you went down there, were there already like uh, pro surfers at the time? Like
2: none that we knew or had anything to do with. Uh, I. I uh, we were just friends. I had a, I was on the wrestling team in those days. I had a good friend of mine on the wrestling team with Eddie Hay. And his father bought him for a Christmas present for a kid. And So here we are. We were like a couple 14-year-old kids. And here's this box with a gallon of resin and cloth and blank uh, a fin, a skeg. And... <laughs> Built a surfboard, and uh, my mom tried to take us down to Huntington uh, and to try out the board. But we we were just you know we were just two fourteen-year-olds. We had no idea the, uh, the surf in Huntington was blowing out, uh, meaning uh, wind coming on shore and blowing over into the waves and making it really choppy. Not too much unlike uh, corporate And uh, um, What really got us started was that spring spring of 1962, my dad took us to Eddie and I and the family down to a a, a camping spot a little bit south of there called Doheny. We had no idea, but Doheny was a a very well-known surf spot. In fact, it's mentioned it's referenced a lot of the surf music of the time. Uh, if you listen, carefully to the song, they talk about Doheny quite a bit, but Doheny was a perfect beginner spot, so for three or four days, we camped there, and Eddie and I just alternated. He would go out and surf for an hour or two until he was exhausted. He'd come in, and I would go out for an hour or two until I was exhausted, and so we spent like three days and those three days we you know we knew how to surf basically self top. Build your own board. <laughs> oh, yeah! <had> no friends. Servers. <laughs> we yeah, we had. It was crazy, but uh, you know, then uh, kept on building and building. I, I bought my own board, uh, and uh, in those days, I used to actually uh, like my dad was a bellman. He'd leave early in the morning, and I would get him to uh, hire down to Beach Boulevard, uh, and uh, like at six o'clock in the morning, and I would be there with a surfboard uh, and hitchhike down to the beach, uh, which uh, was a little bit of a challenge. And then I would like, work my way down from, uh, from Huntington, hitchhike and surf and all the way down to, uh, to Keeney, find some nice family that uh, would let me lay out on a blanket in their uh, camping area, and surf all day, Saturday. Surf all day Sunday, and then get your ride back to uh, uh, to opera in my home. So, and then, of course, you'd always in those days we would we had guys like I had a friend by the name of Tipton, who had a like a forty nine Ford Woody, and uh, he would uh, he would come by and pick up like four or five guys. We would all Maybe what was essentially lunch money, 35 cents, and that was enough money for him to pay for gas to get down to the beach and back. So we piled like six guys and six boards in this woody and go down behind in, uh, usually the cliff the area just north of Huntington Beach. And uh, that's you know, that's how we did it little by little. Nice.
1: And now, did you end up like all year long, or is this something that, like, or for how many years? No, like, I surfed all miss? year
2: long, and, uh, of course, in the the water in California in, uh, in those days was actually quite cold. It picked up, uh, believe it or not, uh, it's, it's quite a bit warmer now than it was when I surfed in those days. But, uh, yeah, you know, we uh, kept it up. It was, it was Sunday morning, every Sunday morning. uh after I married, that was that was in my surf day, and I uh, had a, a, a Volkswagen with a Camper, uh, and uh, throw the board in the back. And sometimes during the summer, also in the middle of the week after work, I would uh, hop on down to St. Clemente area, mostly which is where I like to surf. My, my my main surf spot, I recall, uppers. Vessels, wonderful, beautiful surf. And uh, it was quite a, quite a time. I mean, it's not like a, a little hard to explain. When I surfed at Doheny in those days, the water was so absolutely crystal clear that you could catch a small wave and stand up, and you could not see the wave. It was that transparent, that clean. Uh, it, you're writing, and it's like you're writing on air. And you'd sit on your board outside and look, waiting for a wave, and you look down six feet below you, and you could see everything on the bottom. Must have been. Important. It, was, oh, it was of course, it's not like that now. Mm-hmm. Now you surf to lean you can't see your hand. You, um, you know. pollution. Yeah, they, they. They put in a water treatment plant and sewage treatment plants on the on the San Juan uh, Creek that empties into it, mm-hmm. and uh, you've got that going on. You've got a huge oh. arena built in a huge breakwater, and all that had the effect of um, degrading the marine environment in a major way.
1: Now, do you think that it, not only just affects that, but the wild the wildlife in the water as well? They might,
2: like, Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, in, in, for example, Santa Monica Bay and in Los Angeles, so much uh, pollution, including a lot of DDT that was dumped in there, that uh, they advise you, for years, they advise you not to eat any fish. It was a huge bay running from Palos Verdes all the way up to Malibu. Yeah, well,
1: that's that's the sad part is the pollution and the trash that just gets dumped in. Like, I'm, I'm, this is an interview about like uh, about taking care of our our planet that we live on. But it is sad that, especially if you like the outdoors, you like going into the forests or you like going into the the waters, and then you just see it over the decades get deteriorated. It's it's pretty sad how it's
2: horrifically it's like, sad. But it, you have to. You know, in life, I'm 77 years old, so you have to accept the fact that uh, there are certain things that are going to happen in time that are never going to be replicated, never going to be duplicated. Mm-hmm. It's just a spot in time. I was I'm very lucky to be part of it, and uh, I will treasure it all. But uh, I really, no way was it going to last. Mm-hmm. Mostly because there's too much money to be made.
1: So. Yeah. Exactly, and population—you gotta do trade-offs with everything. So it is what it is. Now, um, growing up there in that surfing community, did you notice when you traveled outside of your surfing community to other parts of the country or other parts of the world? Like, is was the culture any different when it comes to surfing communities or the waters? Like, uh, like I'm sure you've been a lot of places I haven't been. So, like, uh, or is it? Like the, even though the different people of the community is still the same no matter where you went.
2: Yeah, well, you, of course, you can relate to surfers all over, all, all over the world. Uh, and they share uh, something very special and they they always recognize that. There's an the instant uh, camaraderie and, and almost tribal feeling about it. And the culture, the very deep culture, you know, surfing culture, people. People think that it's kind of funny and little it's humorous it's and stuff like that, but when you really think about it, a certain type of lingo, a certain type of language, a certain kind of attitude towards the world and, and life, uh, uh, clothing was special, the music was special, the films that we watched were special, uh, uh, there's, uh, and that's shared with the surf culture, including the surf culture. Uh, shared all over the
1: world, so. So that's something that's never changed.
2: Uh it uh, hmm.
1: that was a question, I don't
2: yeah. Changed. I don't know. Uh, you know, I basically still hang around with the with the same group of three or four guys that I've served with many, many, many years. So we haven't changed. We're mm-hmm. basically the same. Uh as far as the rest, I don't think it's changed that much. It's still pretty much uh, what you might call an aloha really. Um, there's, a, I w- I'd mentioned before the this interview that um, you know I, I've surfed. I, I lived the last 16 years in a little beach town called Tamarindo. Has yes, very good surf, very good surf breaks, and we have a local. Celebrity there, Robert August, who is one of the two featured surfers in the surf film Endless Summer and Endless Summer 2. He built a home and still lives in Cameron, of course, But uh, Robert August uh, uh, also has his own surf board manufacturing business, and he keeps and many thousands of boards and sells them all around the world. Well, uh, and partially to promote his product, he yeah. actually came to Corpus, and uh, he spent some time here promoting surfing and culture, and, uh, and uh, that's part of his uh, of his background. So it's,
1: and you mentioned it was, uh, there's some stuff over here
2: at the Surfing Museum? I believe, you know, I've been in the Surfing Museum several times, and I I'm not sure, I know that there is references to okay. Robert August's visit. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I'm not sure. I, I talked to them in the Surf Museum about that because uh, I didn't see, I expected to see some pictures of Robert August and, and a little bit of something about his uh, promotional activity here in Corpus Christi. Really, the terrific tie in to world surf, surf culture. Those films, Endless Summer and Endless Summer 2. Uh, Extremely famous worldwide uh, films, and certainly the most famous surfing. That ever been made. And, uh,
1: when you said that Aloha Spear earlier, I was thinking. I think of like surfing, big surfing. I think of Hawaii. Have you ever got a chance to go out there? And...
2: No, I've surfed. Uh, I've surfed extensively on the California coast. Uh, Above all the way from above Malibu down to the San Diego breaks, I have surfed uh, Mexico Baja numerous times, quite a bit, and of course moving to Costa Rica, I surfed all up and down the Costa Rican coast. Once, once my my surf buddies realized that uh, I had established myself in Tamarindo, that was a regular yearly thing. They would come and. What surfers would do is they always want to go on safari, which means that they're not happy to come into Tamarindo and surf. Okay, here's my break. It's only a block away from from my condo. You know, it's the best setup in the world. You walk out your door with the board under your arm and walk right into the surf break and paddle yes. out and you're there. Well, no, they want to go places. So they got, <laughs> they got a long list of all these, these breaks like Playa Hermosa and some of these are very serious surf breaks. Oh, nice. Very serious surf breaks. So, yeah, we, uh, uh, we consequently became quite familiar with, uh, with breaks all up and down the Pacific coast of Costa Rica, including some breaks. Like I used to surf regular, regularly a place below Punta Arenas, uh, which I named uh, 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 that uh, secret uh, point. and. I could do that because nobody had ever named the place before. I would go there and surf all by myself. There'd be nobody around, uh, and I could get into trouble doing that. But, and uh, not on any of the surf maps, mm-hmm. not on any, any of the surf guides. So There are lots of places like that. You can have your own little point break all to yourself and
1: Oh, because oh I, it's
2: it's definitely a pro it's a big pro as long as you don't get into some kind of trouble and you can get into trouble I've uh, I've served big days there at Punta Punta Secreta and I have no idea
1: can you tell me a little bit about that like what was the scary like it did it just you out to sea or?
2: well what happens is that you you got a wave that unfortunately you hopefully you're experienced enough and you you understand this wave and how it breaks, and so consequently, you uh, you realize that on a big day like this, you're being swept to the north, and you don't want to go there because once you get past about two or hundred yards of sandy beach, now you've got a series of very rocky points, and you don't want to uh, have to try and come in through that kind of sea. Uh, and so you, you you inch yourself forward, trying to catch just the wave that's going to take you all the way into that sandy beach. You can pick up your board and skate paddle home without. Uh, there's nobody around to help you <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> if anything else. So at this point, you need to be like really good, and you have to know your stuff. It helps to be experienced, especially in that particular spot. Yeah, you know? and that's just a random example i I had a I had one of my friends who we went and uh, surfed uh, another spot um, around playa langosta on a very decent day and a fairly big day and I explained to this friend Keith uh, look uh, don't get caught inside getting caught inside means you're caught inside of where the wave breaks it, it's all rock so, uh, whatever you do, when you ride a wave, you go as far as you possibly can to the right so that either you can circle around and catch another wave or you're close enough to where you can paddle in on a sandy beach. He got caught inside. And I'll never forget the look on his face when he finally struggled, struggled his way back up on the beach and came walking over to me. He looked like he been through a ringer' really something he's a very good very experienced but it can happen it can happen on any day any time but uh, Costa Rica especially well I've had I've had big days in trestles too uh, where I my leash broke on a big wave so when I had to swim in right mm-hmm. trestles Breaks pretty far out, but I've been through it before. I had a, a side stroke that I used where I now I have to go on a long distance without wearing out, and I, I, I kept on working my way in, working my way in, side stroke, side stroke, and I finally got to the point where the water was like up my, below my knee. I couldn't stand up. I had no idea, but I was that exhausted. Oh wow. Then I I couldn't stand up. I struggled. I tried to reach my feet. Yeah. It, it, those are the kinds of things that happen, you know, in a in a circle. That's what you do.
1: Because of the German kept you going and then
2: once You just don't just have any idea. You're you you're, uh, I mean one of the things of dealing with the ocean is that you have to have respect because you know the ocean is kind of capable of throwing something at you that you can't handle mm-hmm. It's just, a, that's life. It doesn't matter whether you're a, you're a sailor and, uh, sailing a sailboat or whether you're a surfer on a boat. You've got to respect the ocean, because it can sort of, you can't handle Right.
1: Um, I guess uh, a few other questions uh, for the, um, have you ever worried about like, sharks in the water, like shark-infected waters or random like scary encounters or anything like
2: that? I've seen sharks in the water. I've seen crocodiles in the water. Um, I've never, I have been circled by sharks, you know, uh, but, uh, I never felt that I was in any real danger. I could have been hitting myself. I don't know. Uh For rare thing. There are some space places like Australia where South Africa where it is uh, much more serious. for great whites and stuff. Like great white. And of course in Costa Rica they have crocodiles. In Barranquilla, the, we had uh, we had crocodile attack. People. We had crocodiles in the estuary there on the north side of town. I've seen them swimming swimming by me while I'm surfing, and uh, there's one in particular that we have a little esterito, a little estero, a little uh, water that, that uh, during the rainy season opens up. And this particular crocodile, this is right in the middle of town, this particular crocodile would get up in there every rainy season, mm-hmm. okay? And then he would start eating dogs. People, in Tamarindo, people, people's dogs would start disappearing. Mm-hmm. You know, you yeah, have those kinds of situations. Well, not. I they, we had one one uh, uh, a lady who was walking her dog on the beach, Tamarindo, on a leash, and a crocodile got out of the in the stero and. Uh, and uh, uh, took the dog right, right off the yes. beach. So, I had another friend of mine down there in an area called Estorios. They moved into a hotel called La Felicidad, and they came down to operate the hotel, a uh, husband and wife uh, team. They brought their brought their two uh, dogs with them when they came down. Well, that area there, Esturrios, that's where with, Tessa, with crocodile. So the dogs come leaping out of the out of the uh, car, and start barking and yapping and running up and down the beach. Oh, they, no. they were gone in like ten minutes. They were gone. Yeah, both dogs
1: gone. It's <laughs> like they're advertising, "Come eat me." <laughs> so anyway, uh, I have another question. So um, with the surfer community, obviously you have like a Younger kids or even uh, teenagers come up and they they see like people surfing. Uh, what is the culture there like for people that want to get into surfing? Is it something that you just have to get a board and try it themselves, or is it something that they'll go ask somebody who is experienced surfing and ask them for tips?
2: Or, it helps. A, it helps a great deal if, if you if someone can can give you pointers and go out guys. in the water with you. Mm-hmm. I did that a lot in Tamarino. Uh, I had people always coming down. People would come up to me and say, I I hear you're a surfer and wonder if you could give me some lessons and I used to do that all the time and uh, it's a great help. But it's not I mean, if you're if you're fifteen years old or fourteen years old just go for it, you know. Yeah. You get dumped and little by little you learn. But uh, a lot of so I would be teaching uh, men and women who are in their 30s or even 40s. That just always wanted to try it. They always never. wanted to try it. And, and so, I don't know, you know, they would have a much rougher time. When you're a, a, a mid teenager, that kind of
1: thing. Resilient.
2: Really easy and very resilient. So, yeah. Um,
1: anything else you want to share with me about uh, your experiences uh, surfing or? You know all the different things you went through.
2: And- well, I'd like to I'd like to say just a little bit as quickly as I can pace through it. Uh, the once again, uh, surf culture is not really very well respected by the, by the population at large, but actually they play that culture played a very uh, critical role in the. American history in the period of the 60s and the 70s in the sense that, that the beginning of the free speech movement and, and all of those uh, 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 countercultural movements that, that came to fruition in the 60s, that began with surf culture in, from, from 1960 to 19. The real Mario Savio, Savio free speech was '64, but surfing culture began within, with Gidget, uh, and it rep- it presented something entirely new in the idea of a culture that that was a youth-based culture that that said, you know, we we respect our parents, we see what they've done, the sacrifices they've made, they've made, but we want to try something. New. We want to create our own culture that is different from the one that our parents. Uh, that's the beginning of the counterculture in the United States. Now, you may you may dismiss that culture. You may not feel that it, that, uh, that it took America in the right direction. It's perfectly legitimate. But the point is, is that it was a very significant culture. Began with surfers. Nice.
1: That's actually I've never heard before. That's great. And I mean, that's one thing that's always going to happen: change through our culture. The next generation always thinking that you know, previous generation could adapt, and sometimes it's in a good way, and sometimes it's not.
2: You know, so what You know, in parallel with that culture was a group what we used to, surfers used to call the Greaser culture. Culture was based on
1: how, I was going to say, are you talking about yeah, okay.
2: but but there's a reason why that really never developed the way surf, surf culture did. The Grecian culture never really developed their own music they never really developed their uh, it was not a full-fledged uh, it was an attempt to take youth away from the traditional values uh, and didn't really succeed because in the end they were just a bunch of thugs and noodlums. Uh, surf culture is why yeah and it's
1: and it still thrives.
2: yes you. very definitely and it does it does present an alternate way of looking at life a different point of view there's some value in that I love like the whole easygoing like me- mentality laid back yep. eating healthy exercising, you know, opening up to the beauty of the world around you. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, a lot of key elements there. Those are hard to argue.
1: Those are all values. I, I really appreciate you coming in here. Maybe uh, um, based on our, our fans, we can have you come in again and ask I- try to do a better job at interviewing. But oh, no. I didn't have any questions laid out or anything. It, it's, it's really awesome. To
2: it's a wonderful opportunity perform. for me. Uh, uh, I've never done anything like this before, so I appreciate it very much. I it. Thank, you. Thank you for coming in.
1: Have a great day, everybody. Stop.